great day today. Great day yesterday. Great day this morning. Welcome, Ebenezer. Amen. Amen. Uh, as we look around here, we see lots of people from lots of places. And Doris, and Doris brought Olivia. That's a miracle. Hey, hi, Olivia. <laughs> so good to see you here. Wow, this is great. As we look, you know, we see faces in the in the room here from different nationalities and different languages, and we have not yet seen all the faces that are in Bartlett in here. So we've got some work to do. We've got some work to do, calling people to life for the sake of our great Lord and King, Jesus Christ. Well, it's going to be a great day. We're, we're doing a baptism service today. Uh, as soon as, uh, because, because we had some, make some arrangements, right? Nelson is planning on being here, so we're going to have to make a little time for, for Doris to go get him. So we'll make some time at the end. I'll let you know when. <sighs> but because we're doing baptism this morning, I thought it would be a really good thing. Yes. I thought it would be a really good thing. Do we have to let children go before I bore them to tears? Okay, you're on, Nelson. You guys can head out if you want. Yeah, because we are uh, holding a baptism after church today, I thought it kind of important to go today and look at the very beginning of the church. The very beginning in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 2, and we will... Well, we'll go through it together. Now, you've got a bunch of notes. It's on two sides, and it's really dense, and there's no room for you to take notes there. Um, I just consider uh, it to have been a blessing to have been able to complete this, much less turn it into blanks that you could fill. So you're just going to have to circle things that are important and write your notes wherever you can. Ah, would you stand with me and pray, please, before we get into the Word together? Our Father, it is a blessing to be here. It is a blessing to be together. It is a blessing to be free, to worship you, to declare your glory, to be able to sing your praise, to be able to dedicate our lives to you. I ask that today, in a very powerful way, you make your presence known among us. We want to see you at work, changing the lives, healing, restoring, all for the glory of your name. By this, the word says, by this, 
all men will know that you are my disciples because you have loved one for another. May we see that today and every day as we go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to tell you ahead of time because I'm going to forget later. Because I'm going to get so excited about what I'm talking about, I'm going to forget. So on the last Sunday of the month, which this is, we traditionally take our benevolent offering near the end of the service. Um, Some large person stand outside the door with a plate. Make sure nobody gets out. But I'm going to forget. I know I'm going to forget. So now that's how, that's how we care for those among us who have needs. So uh, let's remember that, even if I forget. The pattern of new life. There is a pattern in the second chapter of the book of Acts that tells us the normal things that occur when new life comes into a person. And I'm just going to read right through the whole chapter and stop at the divisions. So I'm going to start reading right at Acts chapter 1. And uh, you'll see what happens as we go along. This is a story, by the way, so... It's easy to follow. It's hard to get lost. The story is, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. A lot like us, in one place. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. That's where I meant to say. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Thank you. Let me start over again so you can get there. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And it looks like we're all together now, too. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Just like us, they were sitting. God's spirit can move even if we sit. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, 
and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they're all full of sweet wine. That was the story. The Holy Spirit poured out in the first 13 verses. The Holy Spirit poured out on believers. And the unbelievers saw that and came and looked at it and said, What in the world is this? Are these guys drunk? Fortunately, somebody was there to explain what was going on. So let's look at verse 14 through 21. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So when the unbelievers came and saw what was going on, and they wondered, what in the world is this? Are these guys drunk? Peter was able to stand up and say, no. This is what the scriptures foretold. This is the fulfillment of God's word. Then in verses 22 through 36, the very first ever Christian sermon. And we get to read it together. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know 
This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to the grave, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to death, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. End of sermon. End of sermon. Peter gave this great sermon. You killed the Messiah. That's what he said. That was the first Christian sermon. Hey, God elevated this man and you killed him. Here's the beginning of the pattern that leads to new life. The pattern of new life. Verse 37 through 42. When they heard this, they were pierced to their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. 
So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of, the, of bread and to prayer. This is the pattern of new life. God made a pattern. This is the pattern that leads to new life. And then new life, once it's there, has its results. The results of new life are in the next few verses. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. <clears throat> there's a pattern there. Yeah, there's a story at the beginning. But at the end, there's a response to the story. A response to the message that was preached and proclaimed. And that response is the pattern of new life. You can look at the verses. I'm going to go a little bit more quickly now so that it's not boring. In verse 5, in verse 5, you can go back and look at it, read it for yourself. As I'm saying these things, think through it. In verse 5, what we saw was a bunch of unbelievers who were sensitive to God's actions. Right? People are speaking in tongues. These guys are looking. They're going, what in the world is this? They were sensitive to God's actions. And it says about them, they were already devout. They were already devoted to God. Because they were Jews. They were faithful Jews. They already had been finding, seeking God in their life. But they did not know the Messiah when he appeared. So people today are sensitive to what God is doing. Or at least those who are sensitive, who sense what God is doing, begin to move toward him. Again in verse 5, those people were present where God was working. They were in Jerusalem, it says. Men from, you know, devoted men from all kinds of nations on earth. They were sensitive to God's leading and they were there. They were present, living in Jerusalem. Verse 6 says that they were sensitive once again. And I'm going to scroll right to there so I can see what I'm talking about. Okay, they heard the sound, so they were sensitive. They could sense what was happening 
with their normal sense, their ears. They could hear the sound. And they responded to it. The lost are like that. They respond to what they hear. When God is doing something, people respond to it. And that sensitivity, that response, leads to new life. Verse 7. They all held a sense of wonder. Think, think about that. How many times do we think we know it all? And we don't wonder about things anymore. Nothing's wonderful. Nothing's amazing. Everything can be explained scientifically. But that's not what we see here. The ones who benefited, the ones who responded to God, were the ones who had a sense of wonder. In verse 8, they listened. They could hear. How is it that we hear them speaking in our own language? Again, it's their sense, but they were paying attention. You can hear with your ears and not listen. Right? Wives, is that true about your husbands? Right? (laughs) Sound goes in their ear, but they're not always listening, right? But in this case, these people were listening paying attention to what God was doing. And in verse 8, they were curious. What is this? What is this? When, When the world sees us, they should sense something different. And if they have still maintained a sense of wonder at things that are amazing, they would look at us and go like, What is it about them? What is it? In verse 9, they were self-aware. What? They knew who they were. They knew who they were. Hey, we are different. We come from different places. We have different languages. But we hear these men speaking in our own language. They knew who they were. In verse 14, they were willing to learn. Verse 14, what did they say? Listen to my words. And because he kept going, we could tell that they wanted to hear it. So they were willing to learn. In verse 37, now we're going to jump right past Peter's sermon because we already heard it. But verse 37, they were spiritually sensitive. That is, they were sensitive to God's Spirit urging them. And they, they, went, they got to the point where they said, what should we do? They were sensitive. What should we do? And in verse 37, again, they were honestly evaluating themselves. They looked at themselves. Look, Peter said, here's the sermon. Messiah was here. You killed him. And they honestly evaluated themselves. And they came to the conclusion, we must be guilty. And it says... In verse 37, that they were pierced to the heart. Peter's words went right into their heart. And they knew, this is true. We are guilty. 
what should we do? In verse 38, they displayed humility. This is the pattern that leads to new life. Sensitivity to God's Spirit doing things. Sense of curiosity. What's going on there? A willingness to ask questions. Whoa, what is this? A willingness to hear. A willingness to say about yourself, yeah, that's who I really am. Humility. I've sinned. In this case, we killed him. What should we do? A desire to change. Verse 38. They were also wise. We know that they were wise because they were willing to accept Peter's judgment of them. He rebuked them. He said, you killed the Messiah. And they said, what should we do? Because they wanted to know. They were willing to accept that rebuke and willing to change. How do we know they're willing to change? Hey, thousands of them got baptized. That's willing to change. So that is the pattern that leads to new life. Sensitive to God, curious, willing to learn, a sense of wonder, willing to be rebuked, wise, willing to change. Those are the things in people that God uses to bring about a change of life. And then, fortunately, in this passage, we see a reasonable response. Peter said, repent. Repent. Now, look, there's a whole bunch of technical things about Greek and everything, but basically, I'm going to just... He said this. He said, all of you. That's what he said. Everybody repent. Okay? Not just you and you and you, but everybody repent. And then he said, each one of you, he's going you and you and you and you and you and you and you, be baptized. Because all together, we can take the sin and turn away from it. But each one of us must move toward God on his own. Be baptized, it says, for the forgiveness of your sins. Where did, you know, this was not something new to them. They knew about baptism because in the Old Testament, there were all the sacrifices and the priests had to wash themselves all the time, just again and again and again throughout the day as they're offering these sacrifices. Sometimes before, sometimes after, sometimes between the killing and the offering, and then again after. Just, they always were washing themselves. And, and that was part of what God commanded because the washing of themselves when they're doing their duty as priests reflects God's purity, God's holiness. And 
not just the fact that God is holy, but he wants us to be pure and clean as well. So these devout Jews from all kinds of different languages and nations, they understood what baptism was. They had the picture of it from the Old Testament. And then later on, there was John the Baptist, remember? He was out by the Jordan River, and he was not offering sacrifices, but he was saying, repent and be baptized. His baptism was a curious thing because it wasn't about the priesthood. It was something different. John was saying this. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Get baptized. Identify yourself with the kingdom. That's what he was saying. And that's why they were being baptized. And that's why the Pharisees stood back and watched, but didn't get baptized. And when they came and said, baptize us, he says, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? As he knew, they wanted to fit in. They were not actually repenting. John's baptism was with water. And it identified the individuals who were being baptized, identified them with the kingdom. But it didn't get them into the kingdom. It simply said, I am turning away from my sin. Later on, Jesus came with exactly the same message. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and be baptized. But then, during his ministry, Jesus eventually stopped baptizing people. And then later in the book of Acts, right where we are, we see baptism picked up again. So what does baptism do here in the book of Acts? And how is it a pattern for us? Why should we be baptized? Well, Jesus commanded it for one thing. That's a pretty good reason right there. But the rest of it is that we become we submit ourselves to baptism. We go through it in order to symbolize what has already happened. Our sin has been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. We get baptized in order to make a statement. He died for my sin. More than that, he died my death for me. Third, we get baptized in order to declare that he was raised from the dead because the purpose for his death had been accomplished. That is, my sin has been paid for. We get baptized 
in order to demonstrate that he removed my sin from me. That's why we go down into the water. And when we come up, we come up to new life. That's from the book of Romans. We get baptized in order to demonstrate that his righteousness has been placed on me. And all the old stuff gets left behind. And we get baptized. See, all of that stuff would be true if we just went under the water. You holding your breath? Okay. No, we have to come up again. We have to come up again because Jesus was raised from the dead to new life. And when we come up, we are raised to new life. So when we are baptized, we are saying to the world, I have been raised to a new life. And what that means is, just like it did for the guys earlier in the book of Acts, our behavior has to change. What we're dedicated to has to change. The whole repentance thing. Repent means leave it all behind, turn around, change your mind, and walk away from sin. We get baptized to cement the decision to follow Christ. When we get baptized, we're saying, you know what? I am submitting to Jesus Christ, who commanded me to be baptized. Therefore, I'm going to do it, because I want to be be obedient to him. And when we're baptized we can, for the rest of our life, turn around and look back at that moment and say, "Ah, I remember that. I remember that. I can't go back where I came from because I turned around there. When we get baptized, we connect ourselves with the community of faith. Because when we get baptized, we do it publicly. We let the body of Christ see it. Sometimes we let the world see it. And when we do that, we're saying, I need you to help me. Because that old thing is going to try to hold me under. We need each other. We need each other to remind one another of the teachings of the gospel. We need each other for fellowship. Because fellowship reinforces our faith. When we begin to lack faith, joining together strengthens us. We depend on one another. We are accountable to one another. We gain encouragement by one another. We grow in our discipleship because someone brings us along. They're all things that when we get baptized, we are saying, that is what I want in my life. I want that community. I want to be a part of that community. That's why the guys in the first few verses of Acts chapter 2 looked in and said, what is this? All of those things. They were starting there. And the result was 
they got together for, you know, listened to the apostles' teaching. They broke bread together. They shared their goods together. All of this stuff, this was different. This is the community. And when we get baptized, what we say is, I'm going to fulfill my part in that community. I don't just want the benefits. I know I have to give to that community. I'll share my resources. I'll recognize the Lord supplies all my needs. I'll say it with my mouth and give thanks to the Lord. That's how we praise him. We thank him for who he is and what he has done. And last, and this is the very last, when we get baptized, we align ourselves, we line up with, we agree to be part of prayer. Baptism is about prayer. And the reason it's about prayer is because of that community. That community supports itself from inside by praying together. And if we're going to become a part of that community, we must join together in prayer. We depend on God all together in every way. So the very last thing in the message is, just like those people asked at the beginning of books, what should we do? And the answer is, if you have never been baptized, you should be baptized. Because the Lord commanded it. And because that demonstrates to those around you I want to be part of and take my place in. Now, if you've been baptized and you question within your heart, was I doing this for the right reasons? I don't even remember. I don't know. It's okay to be baptized again and to remind yourself of all these things. doesn't have to happen, but if you desire it, we can do that. If you've already been baptized and you're confident in your faith and you are a part of the community and you are here, you don't have to get baptized again. But it would be great to be gathered around the pool and watching other people be baptized because when they come out, they're going to look at you and go, it's you and me now. (laughs) And they're right. And they're right. Well, that's it. That's the message. That's the pattern that leads to life. And and if we've walked through the things in that pattern and we've come to Jesus Christ for new life, what should we do? We should leave that old wave behind and be baptized. So what we're going to do right now is there are several people who are already planning on being baptized today. You may go and prepare. And if you need to, it's, it's, it's time to make that call and, and uh, see, what, see what Nelson's going to do.
Tell him we've been praying for him. We're ready for him. If there's anyone here who has not already agreed ahead of time, I'm going to get baptized today. If the Lord is moving you to be baptized, don't wait. Don't wait. The water is there. The pool's on the side of a hill, so it's a little sloshy. It's going to be funky, but there's enough. There's enough, and we're going to get it done. Um, If you want to be baptized today, when we're out there, just go, yeah, me too, and jump in. We'll take it. We're ready. Stand with me, please, and let's pray together, and we can spend a few minutes preparing for baptism, moving outside to the top of the hill. By the way, we know that there are some people who cannot get to the top of the hill. That's okay. There's a couple vans out here. We'll drive you up there. You need to be there. And I know it's really hot, but that's okay. You can walk on flat ground into the back door and get cooled off if you need to. So if you, if you have a hard time getting up the hill, we'll get you there. Right? All right. Heavenly Father, thank you that you made a way. You sent your Son to die for us and make a way for us to be with you. You made a way to pay for our sin. You made a way for us to take benefit of that. You have moved our hearts and you continue to move us every day. Thank you that you put us together and that you cause us to depend on one another, that your Spirit works through us for the benefit of those around us. Thank you for these things. That is an incredible design. Nobody else ever thought of that. It's you who did it. It's your way. And we desire to walk in it. And so as we go from here, prepare our hearts to receive one another as we become baptized. Prepare our hearts to take our part and do it better. And every day, we know, Father, we've left the old life behind, but it chases us, and sometimes it catches us, and we need to repent again and again. Remind us to do that. Honor yourself through these actions and through the testimony of these faithful witnesses who we're going to baptize in a few minutes. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.